0: If you brought a copy of God's Word with you, this morning we are studying the book of Romans, and I would ask you to go to Romans chapter 2, and we'll pick it up in verse 17. When we get to it, not just yet. Romans chapter 2. Well, with the baseball playoffs just around the corner, I thought it would be a good idea to remind you of that epic World Series that all of you remember back in 1924. When the Washington Senators... Versus the Brooklyn Dodgers. It was the seventh game. It was the top of the ninth. The score was tied two to two. The Senators were up. And the future Hall of Famer, 24 year old Goose Goslin, was up to bat. Of course, you all remember Goose. You have his baseball card, I'm sure. You'd be a millionaire if you did, probably. But uh, actually, this is a true story. Goslin. He was a very a power hitter, left-handed hitter. He hit the ball deep right center, and hit the, it hit the fence. It didn't go over. Making the ball, going back into the field, causing the fielder to go after the ball. By the time he got to it, Goslin had rounded second and was on his way to third. Before the fielder got it to the cutoff man who would rocket it into home plate, Goslin was waved by the third base coach to go in, go for the inside the park. He slid as the ball was coming to the catcher in the slide, made it clearly under the catcher. The entire crowd could see it. He was clearly safe. At which time, the umpire made his epic call. He said, the batter is out. You'll know why later on in the message. The Jews of the first century not only saw themselves as automatic inns, safe in the kingdom of God, but they could hardly imagine themselves not being in the kingdom, especially as they compared themselves to Gentiles. And so the Apostle Paul, as court. Reconvenes. Uh, if you remember, we said that in chapter 1, verses 18, all the way through chapter 3, he sort of sets up a divine courtroom setting. And uh, it's his desire to drive us to chapter 3, verse 9, to show that everybody, everyone under the sun, is guilty before God. And he's already dealt with the bad guys. The bad guys are the heathen and all of the derelict, you know, kind of grotesque sins that go along with the heathen. And then last week, we looked at the good guys, the moralist of the early part of chapter 2. And now, we're going to look at the smug guys, the Jews, those who are the privileged. And he addresses them, and he addresses us as well. Now, this address is particularly to Jews, but the parallelism to you and I is unmistakable. You'd be blind not to see it. Which, of course, some of you are, so I'm going to help you try to see it. Maybe the Holy Spirit will come in here and help as well. That would be nice. But we're picking it up in verse 17 of Romans chapter 2 where it says, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed... From the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor to the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you who teach others, do you teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. As it is written, and he quotes from Isaiah, the name of God is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised... Keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised, but keeps the law, will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision, but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, the kind that he's talking about, that is. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His (laughs) praise is not from man, but from God. In one of our first homes, way back in the day, we had a a fire alarm, one of the you know, the earlier brand. Does anybody remember these, those fire alarm seminars that used to be on all over the place? Everybody was going to them, you know, these, these fire alarms that could go through hell and back and be great, you know. And, and uh, we even went to one of those seminars, and I remember thinking, man, I should get one of those. And, and yet I had, I, I, had a, you know, I had a fire alarm, one of those cheap plastic ones. I'd walk underneath it every day, and I'd look up, and I'd think, I feel secure. I got the fire alarm. I mean, these are the days that there wasn't, there was, you know, hardly ever a time where there wasn't a kid with diapers on in our house. And, and uh, so I, I felt good about that. Until one day I decided to, you know, just check the battery because, you know, you're supposed to do that once in a while. And I found out that the battery wasn't even plugged in. So it was a false security. I thought I was secure, but I wasn't. The Jews of Bible times, even up to the present hour, had three securities that, while great things in and of themselves, they were powerless to make them children of God or to put them into the kingdom of God. Those three things were their ethnicity, the fact that they were blood Jews, their knowledge, they had the law, they had the word of God, and their, the sign of circumcision. Their ethnicity was intended to be a framework for God saving the world. Their knowledge, the law, was a moral code which was only intended to make God very big and make us very small and condemn us, not convert us. And the sign of circumcision was intended, not unlike our baptism, to be that which di- a publicly would declare them to be God's children. It was intended only to be a sign, not the substance of their faith. And so Christians, or so-called Christians, we also possess certain things that that provide a framework, so to speak, for our faith, for rules of life. And they are signs that we are God's, Unfortunately, like the Jews of old, these very things become the, the things that we trust to tell us that we're going to heaven. They are false securities. You know what they are. Our upbringing, praying the prayer, baptism, Christian service, just to name a few. My point is that what we are about to learn about the Jews in this section here have parallels in our own lives and faith like the Jews Paul is addressing. Some of us have, and we're going to look at three things here. First of all, they had a framework without fulfillment. How many of you were raised in a, I mean, in a truly God-fearing, Christ-honoring home? Raise your hand. How many of you were? Okay. A lot of you. Look at verse 17. He says that you, you call yourself a Jew and you rely... On the law. The word rely there is a rare word. In fact, it's only used one at a time, and it literally means, in the New King James captures it, it's the word rest, it literally means I rest upon. What these Jews were doing is because it was given to them, they were resting upon the law, which is really strange because you, no one in their right mind would ever rest upon the law. The law was intended to drive us to God. It couldn't couldn't convert us by revealing our sin. It's a little bit like the ark. Do you remember back in the days in 1 Samuel when uh, the the Philistines were whipping up on the Israelites? And and so Hophni and Phinehas, these these sons of Eli, the priests, uh, they, they decided we're getting whipped. Let's get the ark of God. It will save us. Have you ever read that? They literally thought the ark itself, which was a representation of the presence of God, would literally defeat the Philistines. And so they took it into battle with them. And they got crushed. Because they weren't trusting God, they were trusting the thing which represented him. It says their boast is in God's. That sounds good. And let the wise man, you know, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who boasts or glories glory in this that he understands in what? He knows me, that I'm I'm the Lord. I'm Jehovah God. That's a good thing. But the boast that they had was really more about themselves. They had a framework, but they didn't have fulfillment. We love our securities, do we not? Just say yes. That'll help me. We exercise. We exercise so that we might have physical security until our health runs out. We save, we utilize the markets, we make investments, we buy property, we expand business for our financial security. And then we can't take it with us. We love, we spend time with, we help out, we give, we, give, we support... And we receive all the same so that we can have emotional security. We go to church. We read our Bibles. We give money. We even serve other people in order to have spiritual security. And yet, like when I explained to one woman that her, all these good things she was doing could not save her, that she, she came to tears because she thought they would save her. When I first shared my testimony of salvation with my father... And told him how I had placed my faith in Jesus. I wasn't trusting anything else. He gave me a long list of things he and my mother had been doing for the past twenty years for the church. Is it to say I'm in? I'm secure. I'm doing all these things. The rabbis, the Jewish rabbis, loved the security of their ethnicity. They even said that no Jew would ever be thrown, in, thrown out of the kingdom of God. That's what the rabbis said. No wonder they, they reacted so violently to Jesus when he said, you'll be kept out and the others are coming in. Remember he said that? It says in verse 18 that they were instructed, because you are instructed in the law. That's an interesting word. The word means, we get a word catechism from this word. It means to be taught something orally. I was talking to my son the other day. He said, Dad, he said, why why are the Jews so unbelieving today? And I said, That's a good question. That's always what you say when you're scrambling for an answer. (laughs) And as I thought about it, I thought, Because of hatred, harassment, and Holocaust. And because of these things, there is a God given hardness in their lives. Now, getting a little ahead of ourselves, but look what it says in Romans chapter 11, where we're told, what then? Israel failed to obtain what, what, was, uh, what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they would not see, and ears that would not here, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and and bend their backs forever. Lest you be wise in your own sight. I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So this is... There are The reasons why Jewish people are so hardened to spiritual things is because of hatred of the world, harassment from the world, the Holocaust, of course, of more recent days, and a God-given spirit of blindness or hardness. I spent four hours on a plane with a Jew a few years ago. Four hours, sitting right next to him, sharing Christ with him. We talked for so long that he saw my tract that he had, and he said, "Well, if you want to reach Portuguese uh, uh, people who speak Portuguese, why don't don't you let me write that out?" He literally wrote my tract out in Portuguese for me. He gave himself the gospel. He was nice. He was intelligent. We had great conversation, but he had—he wasn't the slightest. He wasn't even slightly, not even remotely interested in Christianity or spiritual things. And yet he was an observant Jew. He observed the holidays. Most of them do. They had a framework. That's what they have. They have a framework, but they have no fulfillment. In fact, today most Jews are either radically liberal or outright atheist. They often view themselves as God's gifts to men. Have you noticed that? And for good reason. Verses 19 and 20, look at this. See, you're a bunch of teachers here. You're a guide to the blind, light to the darkness, instructor foolish, teacher of children. There's an irony here because any study of history will reveal that pound for pound, no people group in this world can hold a candle to the accomplishment of the Jews. None of them. They've discovered more things. They've won more Nobel Peace Prizes. They're the greatest actors, the greatest medical experts, the greatest scientists, and they're even the greatest comedians. I'm serious. They're the the smartest and the funniest. And listen to this. From the Marx Brothers, George Burns, Jack Benny, Milton Berle, Sid Caesar, Carl Reiner, Neil Simon, Woody Allen, Mel Brooks, Don Rickles, Rodney Dangerfield, Lenny Bruce, Gilda Radner, Andy Kaufman, Jerry Seinfeld, Adam Sandler, Ben Stiller, Sarah Silverman, and John Stewart. And those are just the comedians The point is, and don't miss it. They have been leaders. They have been guides. They have been our teachers in nearly every conceivable field of study. Their boast is not empty. Not by a long shot. They have almost single handedly improved the living conditions that you and i enjoy and they and they amount to almost a drop in the ocean by way of the tribes of this world but here's here's what i don't want you to miss but god intended for them to be the principal players in helping people like me getting into the next world That's why he said to Abraham, he said, through you all the nations will be blessed. Have you ever read that? And Isaiah put it like this. He said, I have appointed you as a light to the nations. But this is the very place where our Jewish friends have failed. I was thinking about this. They're like a a SEAL Team 6 soldier who discovers the whereabouts of a hostage ingeniously finds a way to circumvent you know, all of the alarms and firewalls and secure the hostage, to, to, to secure the heart hostage, makes his way to the hostage, only to turn out to be a pacifist. And he won't shoot, he won't defend. I mean, very impressive in every aspect of the operation, except the one thing, he can't help the hostage out. That's the way our Jewish friends are today. They've helped us in a million ways. But they have failed because even though they have a framework, they don't have the fulfillment. And we know that the fulfillment of the law is Jesus. Amen? But are we any different? Are you any different? During this Big Picture Missions Month, which we're we're doing that on Sunday nights at Sailorville. You should be here for that. Bill Petit, who was with us all week last week, many of you got to hang out with him and his wife, Becky, from Japan. As he, as he sort of brought his presentation to a closing, he got very passionate. And he challenged us about two things. Don't forget the hard countries where people are struggling to reach other people, groups are for Christ. And then he said, and keep the gospel central he went on to talk about how he's been in all these churches, all these great churches, these doctrinally sound churches, these so-called Bible-believing churches, and he sat down with the leaders of the churches, and all they talk about are politics and liberalism and how all the Christian causes are going down and Obamacare. And then he says, who cares about Obamacare? We have the gospel to give out. And I thought, amen, brother. That's what happens when all you have is a framework and you don't move toward the fulfillment. Who cares? It doesn't matter if every single Christian cause we have in this society is fulfilled. If people grab those causes without grabbing Jesus Christ, they go to hell. And so do you. So, he talks about being the embodiment at the end, verse 20. They have the embodiment of knowledge and truth. A very interesting word. Again, this is, this word, the only time this word embodiment is ever used in the New Testament is in 2 Timothy, where Paul says that these foolish people have a form of godliness, but they deny, they deny the power thereof. That's the word. Same word. The idea is something that's outward that does not have an inward match for reality. That's the idea in this word. So he's chosen a very interesting word. It means to have a sketch. It means to have an outline. It means to have a framework, but no internal substance. When I see a house that's all framed up without substance, I, I mean, I have anticipation fills me. I look forward to that thing getting what? Completed. And Paul is saying, You've got framework, and you have no substance. And that's exactly the way some of you are. Paul sees Judaism as a framework without substance. It's incomplete, and of course, we get complete in Jesus Christ, right? Colossians 3, right? So, okay, we got to move on here. They have framework, no fulfillment. They had law, but no love. So he gets into that in the verses which follow, beginning in verse 21, where he starts to... He starts to ask them, you, you who teach people not to steal, do you steal? You tell them not to commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Tell them not to rob, do you rob temples? He's pointing out their hypocrisy here. Actually, in the case of these Jews, they, weren't, they were not only not fulfilling their God-given purpose, they were, it was worse. They were hypocrites. C.S. Lewis said, of all bad men, religious bad men are the worst. That's true, isn't it? The Jews prided themselves on the things they didn't do. Hmm, It's just our nature, isn't it? To pride ourselves, as we compare ourselves, on things we don't do. I don't, you know. I mean, they do that. Not me. And and this happens very early in life. I remember coming home one day and Sitting down, my four-year-old was right next to me, and I asked him, I said, were you a good boy today? And he looked at me, he looked down, he looked up again, he said, I didn't get spanked or anything. (laughs) That was his concept of having a good day. Something he didn't do. I've obeyed, I've avoided violating the law, therefore I deserve a reward. Paul's saying, if you're going to love so contrary to your calling, stop identifying yourself as a Jew. I've had to tell people from time to time, stop identifying yourself as a Christian. You're making an embarrassment of the cause. Verse 24, the name of God is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles because of you. What an indictment. Listen, if unbelievers hate us, it should be for what we believe, not how we behave. Do you agree with that? So they had the law, but they had no love. And finally, they had a sign without salvation. The sign is circumcision. The last part of it, he's talking about how Gentiles without circumcision, if they obey the law, they're, they're fulfilling the whole thing. Of course, nobody's able to do it perfectly. Remember, Paul is driving home the fact that all of us are guilty before God. So, I mean, it's, it's like a box, like circumcision is like, it's like the boxer who goes in the ring, you've seen those boxers, they go and they get ready and they, you know, they, they bow down, they turn around, they're, they're, all, they're, they're almost all Catholics, aren't they? They all go. And, you know, somebody's in the audience goes, does that help? And the guy next to him says, it does if he can punch. Does circumcision help? Yeah, if it can cut away sin, but if it can't do that, it's meaningless, except to identify somebody of their ethnicity and their religious affiliation. Circumcision was a sign that was given to Abraham, if you'll recall, if you know your Bible, and if you don't, don't worry about it. Uh, Genesis 15, way back in the first book of the Bible, Abraham is picked out by God, and God tells Abraham, even though you're an old guy and so is your wife, you're going to have a bunch of kids. You can't even count the number of kids you're going to have. And, and Abraham, it says, he believed God. And God counted it to him as righteous. And as a result, God told him to, circ- to be circumcised, to circumcise his kid that he was going to have as well. And it would become a sign, a sign of God's relationship to a special people group. You remember the story of Joseph when Joseph uh, went away, you know, he was, you know, sold into bondage, and we studied that a couple of years ago, and finally, through a series of sovereign stances, God brings these brothers back together, and Joseph sort of plays a little bit of a, a game with them for a while until he can't take it anymore, right? He looks so different. Several years have taken place. He's virtually grown up, and plus he looks Egyptian. He doesn't wear a beard like all of his brothers. He's got makeup on like guys do today. Whatever. And he just looks different. And when it comes to revealing himself, it says, if you remember, in Genesis 45, verse 4, it says, he says, come near to me. Do you remember that? What do you think he did? Do you think he grabbed a fake beard and put it on? See, it's me. You know what I think? I think he showed him his circumcision. That's what I think he did. That sign was the universal sign that we are a Jewish people. Now, others practiced circumcision, but it was known mostly to be something that the nation of Israel practiced. The rabbis, I I tell you this because circumcision was so important to these Jews. This is why Paul's taking it on. The rabbis said, and I quote, no circumcised man will see hell, unquote. And, quote, circumcision saves us from hell, unquote. In the Midrash, which is a, a Jewish commentary for exposition of the Old Testament, it's, very, it's so allegorical and it's, it, it, it's very blown up. There's crazy interpretations in the Midrash. But in the Midrash, it says this, and I quote, God swore to Abraham that no one who is circumcised would be sent to hell. Abraham sits before the gate of hell and never allows any circumcised Israelite to enter, unquote. They believed this. Circumcision was so huge that even in, by Acts chapter 15, the church is well on its way. It's expanding. It's growing. It becomes the main topic of the first council where the church comes together, the apostles come together, and they start talking about whether or not circumcision ought to be a part of the whole salvation plan even. Seriously. Seriously. Look what it says in chapter 15, verse 1, where it says, But some men came down from Judah and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are uh, circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Salvation by surgery. This was the subject right here. Boom. And then in verse 5, watch this carefully. It says, But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, rose up and said, it's necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Note that these are believers. They have placed their faith in Jesus the Messiah. Some would say, well, they, they must not truly be. saved. I think they got saved. I think they trusted Christ. But they were not going to let go this thing that they had cherished so dearly for so long so easily. And so Peter sort of sums it up and he says, in ver- look at verse 9, he says, and, and God who knows the, say it everyone, God who knows the what? He knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and he made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith. And the subject was over. They dealt with it. This is not about circumcision. This should have been known by these Jews that Paul is addressing. They should have all known this. Again, more scripture, Deuteronomy, back in the Old Testament, as the the second law is given, it says, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all, so that you may live. So even way back in the day, the Jews were being told that uh, there was a greater circumcision that, that was necessary for both men and women, the circumcision of the heart. And in fact, Moses makes it even more explicit when he says in Deuteronomy 10, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Jeremiah, who did uh, never minced words, Says, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O oh, men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. The point is that these Jews, like you and me, should have known that God has always been after something much deeper than the external. Some of you are still more concerned for the sign rather than the substance. And so Paul says at the end, look at verse 29, but a Jew, a true Jew, the fulfilled Jew, the messianic Jew, is, look at it, one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. They should have known that by the spirit not by the letter his praise is not from man it's from God a couple of questions as we round third base here where is your true security found I know that many of you know what the answer to that should be I want to know what the truth is Where is your true security found? Is it found in your religion? Is it found in your upbringing? Is it found in your baptism? John writes, As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name, who are born, not of blood, nor by the will of the flesh, nor by the will of man, but they are born of God. Where is your security? Secondly, does your life cause others to mock God or praise him? Be careful. What an indictment. Verse 24, the name of God is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles because of you. And finally, has your heart been circumcised? We had a great men's retreat. The first message from Greg Pollock was on repentance. And for the next half hour, the Sailorville guys got together and there was a lot of repentance going on. Men who were acknowledging they were not willing to forgive, men who were acknowledging life-dominating sins. And one individual, God bless his humility, openly confessed, not knowing what I was preaching on today, and I quote, I have a hard heart, and I need the hardness to be cut out. And my hardness is now reflected in my family. It was a very powerful moment. And it probably describes some of you. Your hearts are are hard. For whatever reason, life is dibbied out to you. There is a hardness in you. And you need your heart to be circumcised. This is what God does. He wants to take that hardness and cut it out. And put within you a tender heart. Ezekiel predicted this, God will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and give you a new heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my ways. Have you read that? The godly Stephen, courageous Stephen, standing before his Jewish persecutors, reminded them that they were just like their stubborn, contentious fathers. And then laid the gauntlet down on them. And he said to all these Jews, You stiff necked, uncircumcised. I mean that, I mean, you want to know why they came at him with stones? Because he said they were uncircumcised. And you know where? In heart. That's where. They were uncircumcised in their heart. Just like some of us in this room. In that 1924 World Series, Goose Goslin was called out at home plate when clearly he slid under the catcher. And everybody in the stands saw. In fact, a riot, they were throwing stuff on the field. The umpires all had to go back to second base just to get away from all the stuff that was being thrown at them. And they talked. And then the head umpire waved everybody to be silent. And he said, The runner is out. Not because... He didn't beat the throw to home plate, but because he failed to touch first base. And he was out. And this is a perfect description of some of you in this room. You know, you've been to all the other bases. You've gone to church, you've been baptized, you've been a good person. You're a good husband, you're a good wife, well, sort of. You don't cheat on your taxes, you're an upstanding citizen, and you're for all those Christian causes, you know, but you've never been to the first base. You've never been to Jesus. You've never come to him and acknowledged that for all of the framework you have, there's no, there's no fulfillment, there's no Jesus. Jesus. You got law, you got regulation, you got rules, but you don't have the love of God in your heart. And you might even have followed the sign of Christian baptism, but there's no substance behind it because there's no salvation in your life. Let God circumcise the foreskin of your heart today. Humble yourself before the living God who sent his Son Jesus Christ to suffer for you and for me, to die for you and me, to rise again for you and me, that you might and I might get really, really humble before God and acknowledge that all my religion is not going to save me. But Jesus can, and you place your faith in him. If your desire is to do that, let God, because he will, Take the hardness out of your life. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you so much for your word and for this description of the Jewish people that so parallels our own lives. We're just like them, Lord. We trust in the very things that you have given us that were intended to be signs, intended to be frameworks, intended to be governors in our lives, but not the things that can save us. Only Jesus can do that. I pray, Lord, that everyone in this room would experience the inward circumcision of the heart. Your Holy Spirit would be speaking to these hearts that are hard right now. Speak to those hearts whose, Lord, your name is being blasphemed, is being spoken against by some people in this room who are naming the name of Jesus. And those who are outside of the kingdom of God are saying things contrary because of our lives. And this is this is so wrong. Forgive us. We, re- we repent. I pray there would be a genuine spirit of repentance here. That souls would be saved. Now, this is your desire right now, my friend. If your heart is heart and you'd say, that was me, you're describing me. Why don't you just humble your heart right now? Humble your heart before God. Place your faith in Jesus. If you're a Christian a real Christian, one who's truly humbled his or her heart and trusted Jesus. But you've allowed that hardening to get back in. It's affecting your life. It's affecting your family. It's affecting your kids. It's affecting people you're around. And the name of God is not being lifted up by your life. It's being mocked. You need to repent. Let God change you.